Good morning. Uh, my name is Alan Fadling, and I'm glad to be able to make some comments on today's reading in our continuing series called Follow Me. Shortly after last Sunday's services, Jim and I got in our car and drove almost 500 miles to Utah, somewhere in the vicinity of Bryce Canyon and Zion National Park. We were in a cabin. We were there to work on a book project that is due one month from today. And I'm glad to say we made a lot of progress for which we're grateful. So it wasn't a vacation week, it was a work week. But it was a work week at 8,000 feet, miles from the nearest reliable mobile coverage. Fewer deer this year than last year when we went there for a week to start this project. And as part of that time, I knew that I needed to look at this passage, this very short passage. It took 30 seconds for Lindsay to read it. I didn't know if I'd have 22 minutes of something to say about a passage that short. But as I lived with it over the course of this last week, there was one line in particular that just kept coming back again and again and again. And it's simply the line that says, Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus speaking. I just thought that is a remarkable thing for Jesus to say to a big crowd of people in a house. And it made me think of a lot of things about my own journey with Jesus over the years. It will have been 40 years ago this September that as a high school senior in Sacramento, I was invited to a concert by my boss, who happened to be a radical follower of Jesus. At the end of that concert, it was a concert by a jazz group called Sea Wind, a man stood and invited people into an experience of what our line from the gospel suggests, a relationship. I didn't grow up in a church family, I didn't grow up in a Christian family, my mom and dad had good reasons to be rather resistant to the whole idea. And yet somehow God brought a boss into my life who was a lover of Jesus and a follower of Jesus. And that night, something new began to happen in my life. It'd take me a year or two to figure out exactly what all this meant, but I came to discover a very real and transforming friendship with God through Christ. And very soon, this led me to the decision to become a pastor. After a while, though, I began to lose touch with Jesus inviting me to be his brother, and I began to imagine myself much more as his employee, or maybe boss. And boss is very different from brother, even if that boss happens to be Lord. So let me step back into our Mark passage, a little earlier than our reading, and unpack all this just a bit. In our readings for the week, over the course of the week, if you've been engaging those, you have noticed that we had the story of how Jesus called his first followers, his 12. And as we listen to some lines from that story, I think we'll hear an echo of our central line in this morning's reading. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So a little earlier in Mark 3.13, we're told that Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. Those 
whom he desired. And they came to him. I love that phrase. Those whom he desired, those are the ones he called. He called to himself a few that he wanted to be with him. It makes me think that each of us sitting here are sitting here because Jesus wants us. He decided he wanted us. And so we have the opportunity to live our lives with him. As this chapter in Mark continues, it says that Jesus appointed this 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Two phrases stand out for me there. First, they were appointed to be with him and they were appointed to be sent out to preach, to have authority to cast out demons. He invited them to himself to be with him. They were called to friendship with Jesus, and they were called to ministry with Jesus. And we are too. Jesus invites us to be, us to be with him, and Jesus invites us to be involved in his work. These are not two separate things. I've sometimes separated them. But he wants us to be with him as we engage in whatever work he has for us to do. Kingdom work in this world. These are not either or. They're not two separate islands. Friendship with him and working with him are all of a piece. And so this, by way of introduction, brings us to our gospel passage for the morning. Jesus is speaking to a crowd gathered in a house somewhere in the neighborhood of Galilee. Just before this morning's reading, we're told that the crowds who gathered were so large that often Jesus and his followers didn't even have a moment to get a bite to eat. And so Mary, Jesus' mother, and Jesus' brothers hear about all this, and they become concerned. In Mark 3.21, it actually says that they went out to seize him, saying to themselves, he's out of his mind. Be honest, I have a hard time imagining Jesus' mother Mary engineering this move. I mean, the Mary who was told by an angel that she would conceive a son and whose response was, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So again, I have a hard time imagining Jesus' mother, Mary, being the engine behind this. But I happen to be a firstborn brother like Jesus. I have two younger brothers and one younger sister. And I can imagine the little brothers see their chance. They've had this perfect firstborn brother all their lives. And now it looks like something might be going a little wacky with big brother. So I can easily imagine them relishing the chance, perhaps, to see something wrong with their perfect older brother. And so Mary and Jesus' half-brothers go to the house where yet another crowd are gathered to listen to him. And they let someone in the crowd know that they are Jesus' family. So someone in the crowd says to Jesus, hey, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. I wonder, did Jesus suspect why they were there? I think he probably did. But Jesus answers. 
who are my mother and brothers? I mean, it could sound like a belittling or even a disowning of his family. But instead, I think Jesus is taking the opportunity to broaden everyone's vision of what his father's kingdom is like, even of what family is like. And what is this kingdom family like? Remember, as the Gospel of Mark begins, we're given a summary statement of the message that Jesus begins to proclaim as his ministry launches. Do you remember the line? The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. He's come to announce the kingdom of God. He'll talk about God as his own father, in a way that startles and offends the Jewish leaders of the day. And he'll invite people, in our reading today, to come to him, to be with him as brothers and sisters and even mothers. The kingdom of God is at hand in the person of Jesus. And the kingdom is bigger than mere human families or blood families. Jesus isn't negating human brothers and sisters and mothers. He's superseding them. He is fulfilling what family was meant to be. He is inviting us all into a kingdom family. So let me step back just a little more into my own faith journey. It was about 10 years after I first came to know and trust Jesus that God gave me the gift of a mentor. His name was Chuck Miller. And Chuck helped me remember what I'd been invited into as a high school senior, but had practically forgotten as a young pastor. He reminded me that the Christian life was not a what, but a who. That it was not a thing to do, but a person to be loved by, a person to love back, and a person to love together with a community of brothers and sisters. He reminded me that Christian life is relational, and I had forgotten that in my busyness to serve God as a pastor. And one of Chuck's very favorite gospel phrases was the one at the center of our early summer sermon series here, come follow me. And I can still hear his gravelly voice unpacking this phrase, one word at a time. He'd start with come, Come says we have to leave something to be where Jesus is. Some of those disciples left their family business as fishermen to follow him. They came at his invitation. They responded with faith, even with obedience to this invitation. Come. And then there's follow. Working so often with leaders, Chuck would often remind us that where we assume that the most important thing about leaders is that they lead the most important thing about Christian leaders is that they follow. The kingdom of God has one head, one king, one leader, and it's not me. And he's quite good at what he does. So follow. Then there's one more word, come follow me. This is personal. Too many times in my early ministry, I had somehow twisted that phrase into a version of come follow it. 
it was a program or it was a ministry vision or it was a plan that I had for the work of God. Come follow it. Come join me. Let's follow it. But Jesus' invitation is, come follow me. Following Jesus is a relational life. It's a life we enjoy living together. The church is people in close relationship, brothers and sisters and mothers. As a side note, I sort of thought about Jesus doesn't invite anyone to be a father. He mentions brothers, he mentions sisters, he mentions mothers, but not fathers. I mean, I wonder if he doesn't use that phrase because it was the makeup of the human family standing outside the door. In Mark 6, Jesus was speaking in his hometown synagogue when some who'd known him growing up said, hey, isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And aren't his sisters here with us as well? So Jesus' family was mother and brother and sister. We don't know what happens to Joseph. We don't hear much about him in, in Jesus' adult life. But I think possibly that the reason there's no mention of father in what he says to the crowd is that Jesus kept getting in trouble about a father he claimed. That God was his own father in a way nobody could possibly imagine. That this is what would get him in trouble time and time again. Just one other thought about this phrase, mother, sister, brother. How about the idea that some here sitting, Jesus might have looked at you sitting in that crowd and thought of you as someone he would invite to be mother? Isn't that remarkable? Jim and I are old enough to have a son that would have been about Jesus' age at the time. I don't think Jesus was asking for a parent, but I think there was a kind of honoring in Jesus as a young adult still in his young 30s, looking at some women in this room who were mom-aged, and he was inviting them into a unique relationship with him, a relationship of honor and love. I think it illustrates the humble, gentle, gracious love that permeates the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a remarkable family into which we've been invited. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So we've talked about the last half of that sentence, but what about the first phrase? Whoever does God's will. It sort of begs a question, doesn't it? So what is God's will? When I first began to walk with God, I understood that what God wanted mostly was defined in terms of loving him and loving people. Very simple. As I began to become more and more involved in ministry, as a vocation, as a job, my vision of God's will began to look a little bit different. I imagined that what God mostly wanted from me was knowing and teaching more biblical facts, more theological theories, or, or I imagined that what God wanted most was for me to be a busy doer of ministry work, even if that made me so busy, I hardly had any time to remember and enjoy that I was his friend. And it seemed like the longer I was a Christian, the longer my to-do list got. For example, one of the 
things on my Christian to-do list, maybe on yours if you've been a Christian a while, was something we would have called witnessing. Now, this is rooted in biblical language. Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses. That is a remarkable invitation. But we had somehow sort of squeezed it a little smaller than I think what that invitation intends. In my early experience as a Christian, witnessing seemed mostly focused on saying the right sequence of words to people who'd never heard about Jesus and trying to get out of them a response. And if we could manage that, we would have been successful in our witnessing. But something has to happen before witnessing is about speaking. A witness first must see something. I read this quote a while back in a little book on prayer called Being Present to God. And the writer is talking about witness as presence. He says, what would a presence to the world amount to by witnesses who've not been in close contact with the one about whom they are to witness? Or by spokespersons who do not listen to the one whose message they are to transmit? Or by laborers who do not follow the foreman's commands. Now, the author says it in the negative. But our passage this morning is inviting us into the positive of those sentences. We're invited into close contact with one about whom we are speaking as witnesses. We are invited to be spokespersons for one to whom we are listening. We are invited to work with God and not merely to work for God as though he were at a distant home office. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And so what is God's will? How do I do it? There was another time in the gospel when Jesus was surrounded by another inquiring crowd and someone asked this question, what must we do to be doing the works of God? They were asking about God's requirements. What do we have to do to make God happy? You remember Jesus' answer? This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. To a question that was likely about religious requirements that God would have for them, Jesus gives a relational answer. Trust me, God has sent me. Whoever does God's will. You see, obedience is our family resemblance. But it's an obedience rooted in family relationship, not just an obligation or a duty. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. This is God's continuing invitation to us to live with the divine family of Father, Son, and Spirit. Relationship is what lies at the root of who we are, who we are becoming, and what it is that we do in this world in service of his kingdom. Love is the engine that enables us to do what we do from abundance and not from scarcity. Love is the richness that we have to speak of as witnesses. Whoever does the will of a loving father. These are brothers and sisters and mothers. And it's my hope that you will feel that invitation 
as one that Jesus has and continues to extend to you in your life, in your setting, in the work that you've been doing. Amen.